Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Charleston, South Carolina. Welcome to the show, Will Matheson. Thank you for having me. Well, great to have you here. Now, Will, you are based in Charleston and you invest in student housing and multifamily and a bunch of other things. We're going to talk today primarily about student housing, but before we do, why don't you give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey? Yes. So I run Matheson Capital with my brother, Evan, my twin brother, Evan. We started the company at 23 years old as actually a hard money lender. And starting in when we were 25 in 2018, we bought our first apartments. It was a small two-unit property in Los Angeles. And ever since then, we've been scaling up, going from you know two units to six units. We did 168-unit acquisition last year. And we've also run the gamut from multifamily housing, student housing. Um, it could be Class A. It could be built in the 60s. It could be built in 2021. And we've had the opportunity to work with some great partners along the way. I love it. Well, it's great that you started young, and that's wonderful. It's such a great education, especially when when you're in your early 20s to, to get deep into the business, and it really helps set you up for life. So that's fantastic. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about student housing. This is a segment that's gone through so much transition over the last two, three years with the pandemic. A lot of folks had to pivot. They had to find other sources of income uh, when schools were shut down. And in the interim, a trend that has been underway for quite some time, the transition from pure classroom learning to hybrid online and classroom learning, in some cases for certain faculties, has reduced the demand for student housing. What have you noticed over the last couple of years as we've gone through this now accelerated transition? So the big takeaway for us is that it really depends on the market, on the university, what you're dealing with. Uh, you know, if, if you're dealing with what is largely a commuter school, um, things along those lines, those I think are going to be disproportionately impacted. There's obviously state-by-state state impacts as well. Our portfolio in the Carolinas was actually very, very lightly impacted by COVID. We actually maintained 100% collections throughout Sometimes that's obviously very school specific, though. But by and large, you know, it, it depends on the school. It depends on the type of students that are attending there and location comes into play as well. So when you make a decision to invest in a particular community around a specific university, how do you do due diligence and determine whether that university is financially stable, financially solvent. We've seen a number of university failures over the last five years. So when it comes to which universities we want to look at for student housing, our big criteria are, you know, one, you kind of start with the premise, is it a state school? They're typically a little more secure financially than a lot of private institutions. But there are also good private institutions, you know, private institution student housing you can invest in. And for those we really want to look more at is this, you know, let's just say a power five athletic school. Is it an academic, a really strong academic school, say Duke or Vanderbilt meet both of those boxes. We feel confident that if there is, let's just say an academic recession, if enrollment drops, your Dukes and your Vanderbilt are still going to draw a lot of students. Whereas, you know, maybe your run of the mill 
$50,000 private university that's not particularly athletically or academically ranked, that one is going to suffer. And the state schools on the other end of that, uh, they're very affordable. People can go there. And if they have good underlying metrics, if they have had consistent growth or at least consistent enrollment, that's another thing we're going to look at. And then you get into the local issues, how much development is going on in the market, what are the barriers to entry, what is your proximity to campus, all of those things. So it's a lot like buying apartments. You know, you've got to take into account your population growth, your location, your neighborhoods. It's just a, in some cases, we find it's a little more secure because you can often get parental guarantees in the leases. That was one of the things that attracted us to student housing when we went into it first in, in 2011 in Philadelphia. We were in the shadow of Temple University and really saw that as an opportunity. And at the time, there was a shortage. And then the university opened a new residence building with 1,200 beds, and that changed the market dynamics almost overnight. It went from being undersupplied to oversupplied. Now, we had a better product, so we survived through that transition, but a lot of people had to exit. I'm very sensitive to your comments on understanding the supply side of it because we've lived it, and it's absolutely something you need to pay very close attention to. A lot of folks are very reluctant to go into student housing because they're worried about property damage, they're worried about students not being responsible, being messy, being high maintenance. Uh, what's, what's been your experience? The thing to remember about, or the thing we always think about in student housing is it might be very, it might be more hands-on than say your typical garden style apartment complex. But again, if you have 200 units in garden style, sometimes you'll see two, three people in the leasing office and two people doing repairs. Student housing, I find the payroll and the staffing to be reasonably similar to a lot of garden style work. But with the security deposits, with the parental guarantees, to a certain extent with the community, I think you can often recoup a lot of those through your leases, through your contracts, if you do end up with, you know, in your extreme scenarios, holes in the walls and things like that. Um, no one wants to graduate a good school and then look for their first job with a record of, you know, outstanding collections from their student housing property. Nobody wants that. I, I understand it. Personally, it hasn't. We haven't run into any of these nightmare scenarios at this point. Maybe it's only a matter of time, but I feel like if you're picking your schools and being really cautious of that, you don't always run into it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. One of the distinct differences between student housing and market housing is you can have people move in and out of your units at any time of the year. It's more distributed throughout the year. But in our experience, student housing that turnover happens almost all in the same day or in, at least in the same week. So we tend to see, we tended to have to staff to a peak to handle that high volume of turnovers. What's been your experience? So that's, we've never actually had a problem with the turns. We have never tried to undermanage student housing. Uh, we've always gone with third party property managers. And the reasons for that are a few. Number one, you don't want to dip your toe into a water, the water of student housing and miss a leasing cycle and completely torpedo something. You want to go with someone who has the experience, they have the knowledge, they have the, the contractors in the market. Because, you know, if you are a manager, if you're a student manager, and let's just use Graystar as an example, if you're either Graystar's student wing or just Graystar normally, when you call a contractor, they know a lot of businesses on the line. So they want to perform for you more so than they would, you know, someone with a couple 
50 beds or so. When you're latching onto that management company that has hundreds, if not thousands of beds across the Southeast, that's a, that's a place where they can really, really add a lot of value. Because as you said, if you mess up that turn schedule, it can significantly set you back. Oh, absolutely. If you miss the start of the academic school year, that's like the retailer that misses Christmas. I mean, that's that's devastating for your entire year. Yeah, and I've seen scenarios on new construction student housing where they didn't know if they were going to get their certificate of occupancy in time. Imagine what a headache that was for the developer where they're chasing a temporary CO moving into a permanent CO at the beginning of August in the Southeast. That's when all our schools start. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen uh, to other developers in the Philadelphia market. And uh, it's not pretty. Where we often had, in fact, it happened to us. In one case, we had a building that wasn't quite finished. And we ended up, we posted on campus a Do You Hate Your Roommate campaign. And we managed to fill those units a month after the start of school, because people just couldn't live with the person that they were rooming with. But it was not a comfortable place to be. We were actually quite terrified when that happened. Yeah, we've seen an increase in single bed student housing. We've seen quite a few new developments that have very low unit counts. And, you know, look, I'm I'm a younger guy. I'm in my early 30s, but I've joked with property managers, you know, when you're going through these lease up schedules, what's the hardest thing to lease? And they say it's the four bedrooms because, quite frankly, a lot of people don't have three friends they want to live with. I'm glad you mentioned that. We noticed that in Philadelphia as well because uh, and what taught us that was a single lady rented a three-bedroom. And we said, why are you renting a three-bedroom? She said, because I can't find any ones and twos. There's none available. That gave us the opportunity to pay attention, and we did. And from that moment forward, we didn't build any more three-, four-, and five-bedroom units. We only built ones and twos in response to, to that supply demand imbalance, that there was a a need for those smaller units. Often graduate students don't want roommates. It's not a big percentage of the population. It's only 15% of the student population, but they're willing to pay more. They probably already have a job as well. So they're going to school part-time and they want a different lifestyle, but they still need student housing. So that, that really caused us to change our unit mix significantly uh, as we were developing units in the in the shadow of Temple University. Yeah, and we, I mean, just on the note of changes in the market, just there's not only changes in unit count or, you know, beds per unit. There's also, we had a conversation with a property manager once where, you know, when we were buying the property, we're seeing there's cable and internet for student housing. We said, why are, why are we paying for cable? They're all just going to use Netflix or Netflix, Hulu, their parents' accounts. I mean, I I told them at this time I'm in my late 20s. I said, I don't have cable. If I want to watch NFL games, I'll subscribe to Hulu Live for four or five months and then turn it off when the NFL season's over. So we actually stopped offering cable at during one of the leasing cycle changeovers and there was no problem. No one raised a peep. Yeah, Yeah, I, I love that. That makes a lot of sense. And that mirrors our experience as well. That mirrors our experience. In fact, we built a senior housing facility and ended up doing everything using smart TVs and Roku boxes. And we were able to cut the cord to cable TV altogether, even though that theoretically that population is still most comfortable with the cable TV set-top box, we were able to, to cut the cord 
to the coaxial cable, which was a huge cost savings. Yeah, I mean, personally, I haven't had cable since 2015. So as soon as, you know, I'm looking at my personal life, these students are not that different from what I was, you know? So I said, just get rid of it. No one said a word. And I believe they actually started offering that to their other owners saying, hey, let's let's drop this. Let's save you 40 bucks a unit across your portfolio. So what other things are you building into your offering that would differentiate you in the market as opposed to being a commodity? It could be things like e-commerce lockers. It could be whatever it might be that you think is going to deliver value to that specific client base. So, I mean, in that, it always depends on property. You know, with your newer with your newer properties, with the higher rents, you know, we're, we're going through a CapEx program right now on a multifamily property, but it's 2018 construction. It's in a major southeastern metro. And we're thinking, you know, how can we upgrade this to be up to date? But we also have, you know, some other properties that they're not, let's just say they're they're not the class A properties, but they're still student housing. And for that, we keep the amenities really low. So it, much like with traditional apartments, student housing, it depends on who your renter base is. When you have that class A property, you need to make sure that you give them all the class A amenities. But if they're more cost conscious and they're really just looking for the cheaper student rents in the market... We try to make sure we're offering them, you know, something that has that value. I love it. Well, Will, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? So I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn, Will Matheson, Charleston, South Carolina. And there's also our website, mathcap.com. Pretty easy to find from there as well. Fabulous. Well, good to catch up and good to catch up on student housing. And for the listeners at home, definitely reach out to Will Matheson on LinkedIn or at his company website, mathcap.com. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.